Hi everyone, you're listening to In-Depth Film, a podcast dedicated to the art of cinema. My name is Greg Bucker. And I'm Greg Kotzer. You can support this podcast by subscribing to our YouTube channel, sharing this video, or liking it. You can also leave a comment in the comment section below. We'd love to hear from you. Your support really means a lot to us. So, Greg, how are you doing? Yeah, good. You know, it's been it's been a pretty good week. Um, I've had a couple shoots starting to come back. Obviously, uh, because of the whole pandemic at the moment, it's been very quiet for the last few months, uh, which is why I've been focusing a lot on this YouTube channel. Um, but it's nice to see a few sh- a few shoots sort of starting to come back. So I've done a couple commercials this week, um, some banking commercials and whatnot, working as a second AC. So yeah, how about yourself? Yeah, well, yesterday I uh, finally, finally finished this year and a half long project that's been keeping me busy, you know, uh, day in and day out. Uh, and it felt so good to to finally um, uh, finalize uh, the last scene and hand it in. Uh, feels like a huge weight is off my back. And now I can focus on my personal projects. I can look forward to working on some exciting new uh, client work, which will hopefully you know, start uh, filtering in. Um, obviously, right now, uh, I'm just enjoying the break. A little bit of a break is always good. Yeah, and just yeah. Uh, kind of enjoying the freedom and wanting to use this opportunity to build In-Depth Annie on the back of, you know, the success of In-Depth Cine. And of course, you know, uh, create something like this podcast, which is something that I've been, you know, excited to do for a long time is uh, yeah, work on something that you and I can collaborate on. Yeah, I, I guess that's what I really like about venturing into this sort of online space is that we are able to do whatever we want, really. Yeah. And it's it's kind of freeing and liberating to to have that sort of control where you're not only working on other people's projects, but you can work on projects purely that you enjoy and purely for the sake of, uh, yeah, working on things you like. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a very exciting shift uh, in, in, in the paradigm. I think for so long, we, we, we think that we have to work for other people and we have to be involved in uh, all sorts of other projects that are validated by the industry. Yes. And it can be quite nerve-wracking when you set off on your own to make something like In-Depth Cine or this podcast and where there's no immediate validation and it mm. seems kind of random and obscure. Yeah. But uh, as we've seen from the success of your, of your YouTube channel, all it takes is um, focus, dedication, uh, time, and patience. And if you uh, make the right content, if, it, if it's good enough, focused enough, I think that uh, you can actually find a surprising amount of success. Exactly. And having a bit of that balance, as we say, we still have that, like I still rely on the, the traditional work. And as I say, working on commercials and working on features and, and that kind of stuff. So just bringing a bit of balance to to the light, uh, to the light, to the life. <laughs> so, um, should we get into the topic for today? Yeah, let's 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 get into to the topic. So, what are we talking about today? So, today we thought we'd give you a bit of a breakdown on a film we shot together in Tokyo, a film called Relics. Yeah. Um, some people have been asking questions about it because I, I made a YouTube video on the on this film um, about how to shoot a no budget film. Uh, so we thought today we'd go through that. We'd talk a little bit about our process of making the film and later get into some of the questions that you guys have for us. 
Yeah, I think uh, the, the the subject for this podcast, if I remember correctly, was um, meant to be how to how to make a no budget feature. And so, what we're going to do is use our experience of making relics as a kind of uh, uh, foundation for our ideas and our um, attitudes towards no budget filmmaking. Because uh, obviously, it's uh, all good and well to theorize about this stuff, but we have actually done it. We've actually gone out there. We've shot a film with no money. Even though it was lacking, the bottom line is we still went out and did it. And uh, we gained some incredible insights from that experience and learned a lot on the way. And yeah, that's what we'd like to, to talk about. Cool. So maybe we should start off just giving a, a basic introduction, tell, telling everyone a little bit about the film. Maybe you'd like to right. do that. Well, I think it's important to note that the film is very much wrapped up in our own personal lives. You know, mm-hmm. it was a very uh, personal you know, even at times autobiographical film, yes. which drew so much from reality. So I think it's important to kind of set up the context here yes. and frame this film. So the film was shot while we were both teaching English in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, you'd spent a year in Thailand. Spent a year in Thailand in 2014, I believe. Yeah. And then 2015, um, as life would have it, we both ended up in Tokyo. Yeah. And, uh, I think it's, it's really important to note as well that when Gray and I were in Tokyo, you know, we were, we were young. We'd only been out of film school for about a year. And so we were really feeling, um, excited about cinema and very hopeful that, that this experience in Japan would lead to some kind of creative, um, uh, growth and, and, um, product, some kind of, a film or project that we could then take home with us to South Africa and show everyone. And in the beginning, we thought that that would be a short film. We thought that we'd make some really cool, edgy Tokyo based short film. Um, but we soon realized that we actually wanted to do something else. Yeah. I, I mean, I even remember we, we had that initial idea for the short and we were, shooting some tests we just bought a zoom sound recorder h5 zoom zoom h5 yeah so we went out into the streets actually and just did a a test shooting around the streets of tokyo and i've got to jump in there man and what's ironic is that we were actually intending on starting a youtube channel that is ironic i've forgotten about that yeah and the, the the name of that channel was going to be wondering and the whole idea behind that channel was we would wander around tokyo make films wandering around Tokyo. Yeah. So the gist of it, if I remember correctly, was that you would sort of, as you say, wander around and provide some kind of commentary as we went. Yeah. Almost like an urban tour guide. Yeah. I I kind of imagined it almost like street photography, but with this, with this guide along the way. Yeah. So that was kind of the style that we were filming these little tests or YouTube videos in. And, and I think that that first experiment we did, it was about a half an hour long walk that we did through uh, Asakusa. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So we, so we, we walked around there for a good 30 minutes and produced this film. And I remember being so taken aback by how successful it was. Yes, yes. I remember that as well. Because yeah. um, it had also been a while since we'd shot anything. I mean, to yeah. give a bit of context, we were also working for companies at the time, the same company, actually. And we were working hard. We were working six days a week yeah, sometimes. Six days a week, very long hours. So on our off day, we kind of produced this experiment. And I think we were both invigorated by... 
by shooting something again and invigorated by the potential of uh, creating a a film. And I I think that, you know, for a lot of filmmakers, I would say for most filmmakers, the entry point into filmmaking is always visual. That goes without saying. So before sound, most filmmakers are trying to buy their first cameras and Mm. shoot little uh, music videos and whatnot. And if I think back, it was a really powerful moment where we were, we were walking around with the microphone and when, and I was speaking into it like a tour guide. And, and when we got back, what we realized was that the quality of the sound for the first time ever, it was, I think what, what I'm trying to say is for the first time ever, it seemed like we could achieve really good sound um, and marry it to a really beautiful image. And, you know, since neither of us are sound recordists and, um, uh, most both of us are like a lot more visual. That was a really exciting moment. I think we were like, okay, we could actually have feature film level sound. Yeah, um, does that make does that make sense? It it, it kind of makes sense. It's funny now looking back because the, the sound the sound of that film was so bad. <laughs> but uh, no, I understand what you're saying, and I guess it's pretty obvious because they do always teach you those kind of things in film school, the importance of sound. But it really is true. It's sound that really elevates a film to the next level. Yeah. Um, I, I, and it really is so important. And until you start making films, it's hard to understand the, the importance of, of recording sound. People are actually very forgiving when it comes to bad visuals if the sound is good. Yeah. So it's a quite an amazing uh, thing. It, it is interesting. It is very interesting. So anyway, we've done this test and then... From there, I remember there was one day where we'd, we'd shot this kind of YouTube video test. And then we said, well, what if we do a short? And we went up to the rooftop. Remember, um, we lived in the same apartment building. So we went up to the rooftop of the building and started shooting some tests. And since we didn't have an actor, uh, Greg uh, took on the role of actor. Yeah, well, we didn't really have time or the money or resources to, you know, uh, find some guy who would spend all this time with us making this movie. So it seemed like a no brainer. And also I'd done drama in high school. So I was yeah. pretty comfortable to do a bit of performance. And, uh, it also made the process a lot easier for us. You know, it did. Uh, it, it, did. It, it meant that we could, it meant that we could experiment. It meant that we could uh, take a lot of time out of a day to go and shoot something because obviously it was just me and Gray or one or two other friends who were put, coming in for a particular scene. Mm. Um, and that really was, um, yeah, something that was very much kind of a necessity, I would say. Yes. And then I think seeing you on screen is part of what made us realize, well, obviously, if we're going to make this feature, we need other characters. And it's it sort of made us realize that we can use people that we know. Yeah. And yeah. I guess people call it street casting, whatever. We just call it casting our friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also remember shooting a scene in my, in my room. Yes. In where we I remember lived. that as well. And I remember we edited it together and we had this theater in, in the apartment block where we lived. It was like a, almost like a shared apartment. So we had a shared kitchen and a shared theater. And I remember we went to go watch this edited footage and we, sat back afterwards thinking you know this could this actually looks legit like this looks like a this looks and feels like a film yes and all we have to do is basically scale this that was that was kind of the conversation it was almost like starting a business and saying to yourself cool so here's one jar of jam and it's delicious all we have to do is scale this and then we have a jam business you yeah. know what i mean it was kind of like that exactly exactly and then i think i remember it was in those early tests that we decided 
we made the decision to shoot in black and white, which mm-hmm. was a pretty important decision. And in hindsight, I think the right decision. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, unless you have control over your palette or unless you're prepared to compromise in your colors, um, you know, shooting a black and white to me seems like quite an obvious uh, route. Exactly, um, exactly. And then since there were so few things that we had control over, yeah, this was one creative decision we could make to control mm. the, at least the basic look of the film. And I think that black and white has an interesting effect on a film. It almost casts a film in a... Um, it's almost a bit romantic, at least to me. It's romantic and in a way that there's something about it. You can almost get away with certain things in black and white that you can't in color. It's maybe saying to the audience that what we're going for here isn't realism. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we introducing a palette which literally isn't real. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that was part of it. And, and there's something about black and white that also uh, suggests that it's not really about the visuals, if that makes sense. There's mm. something strange there. Maybe it's a subconscious thing. But when when I watch a black and white film, so what what I'm what I'm cognizant of is that so much information has been eliminated. Mm. Obviously because color is a huge part of filmmaking. Totally. And so when you watch a black and white movie, when that's stripped away, for me personally, what it's subconsciously saying to me is focus on the story, focus on the characters, focus on this you know, focus on the lighting, um, not really the colors, not really the, um, uh, the, the, the visual tone of the film. Exactly. If, if, yeah. And oh. as a cinematographer, I'd say that was quite liberating at least is to just, cause then I was focusing on things which were very simple, which was how the film was lit through how we placed characters basically and how the characters interacted with natural light. And the framing of the, the, the shots. And um, above that, it really simplified the cinematography. Yeah. And uh, I think that helped, especially when we were shooting this thing with no resources, essentially. Yeah. So a couple of people have emailed me and asked me uh, if we storyboarded the film. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. yeah, maybe we could just speak a bit to that and uh, how, yeah. how we went about shooting it. Cool. Well, the easy answer is no. We definitely didn't storyboard the film. No, we didn't. Um, we, we barely yeah. had a script. Oh, um, I wouldn't even say we had a script. We had yeah, we, a we had very outline. strong outline. Um, so we had no scripted dialogue. Uh, it was based entirely around um, improvisation on the character's part. Yeah. So while I was filming, um, we were we usually had one or two takes of a scene, if I remember correctly. Um, not, uh, we wouldn't often have more than that. So we'd sort of have to very quickly get into a space. We'd rehearse. Use, we'd rehearse, get into a space, which was usually uh, a public space. And uh, very quickly in one or two takes, try to uh, put a scene together. I think it's important here to mention a really important um, point. And that's that the the film that we set out to make uh, was a film that we made with the intention of really making a statement. You know, the the film wasn't made to win an Oscar. The film wasn't <laughs> made to all. get into a big festival. And that's why I think for, for people who are, you know, stumbling across this film online and are curious about it, um, yeah, I, I think it's just important to note that, that we, we really weren't con- too concerned about perfecting this film and about making it nice and glossy and clean. Exactly. We, we, we were just so hungry 
to make a movie. It's as simple as that. We, we said to ourselves, even if the sound is awful, even if we have to dub things, the point is this. If we don't make this film now like this, we'll never be able to make another feature film in Tokyo ever again. And I mm-hmm. think that's true. I think that if we hadn't have made Relics, yeah. we may never have had another opportunity like that to, 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 to be in that place, to explore that kind of territory with those characters in that emotional space we were in at that age. Um, and, and that's why I think, I think that's one of the positives about the film is that it does have this energy. Yes. That perhaps people are picking up on. And when they watch it, they say, yeah. well, you know, obviously the sound's bad. Um, and there are many other flaws. I mean, oh, it's, many, it's yeah, obviously yeah. not a perfect film. Yeah. We, If anyone's aware of the flaws in the film, it's us. But as you say, that, that energy and that tone was really what we were going after. Yeah, and I also think that we were suffering from a bit of, uh, at least I speak for myself here, but I just remember thinking in Tokyo, what on earth are we doing with this camera, this laptop, all these amazing tools, which, you know, a lot of the greats before us would have... Uh, I mean, there are filmmakers who are dead now, yeah. who, who, if they were in opposition, would have made five films yeah. while in Tokyo. I mean, know? back in the day, if you wanted to shoot, you'd use 16 mil, and even that was very expensive, and you need a proper sound recordist, and you need to process the negatives, and then you'd need to hire a place to edit it you don't just have a laptop to edit yeah it no, it'd be a so whole we thing. have yeah so we looked at it in those terms as well that we have all these resources available yeah. to us and a lot of people out there do so we thought it was it would be foolish not to use them yeah. i think an interesting question to ask yourself is this what if i set aside all of my concerns about talent all my self-consciousness yeah all this doubt and what if i just honed in on the intention to make a movie yeah and that's what relics i think that's why relics even though it has so many flaws yeah even though its narrative is at times very weak mm. even though its sound is terrible <laughs> the, the 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 point is what people seem to enjoy what i would what i would argue people are picking up on when they write to us and say i watched relics and i really liked it i think that what people are picking up on is the the transcendent power of that very passionate um, like a contagious intention. energy. Yeah, intention. Yes. So when yeah. people watch Relics, they're like, whoa, if mm. I'm, I could make a movie. Mm. And the truth is, yes, you can make a movie, but it's probably not going to be the movie of your dreams. Yes. And that, I think, is my big lesson from Relics is that, like, yes, you can make a movie. You can actually do it, but you're going to have to make a few compromises, especially if you have few resources. Exactly. And I think that's something we accepted very early on in the process. Yeah. Was the fact that we did have to make compromises. Um, but at the same time, rather than thinking of that in a negative way, you're forced to sort of embrace those compromises and really, yeah, have, have fun with it as well. Yeah. yeah. Like it was a fun movie to make. It, was, was it, it really fun? was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Are there any other questions that you, you got over there? Yeah. So I got an email from a guy named Jim Reed in Frankfurt who very kindly emailed us and complimented us, said, it, said that uh, he really enjoyed the film. And then he had a few questions here. So he said, first of all, he said, what did you learn from making it? What would you do again or do more of? And what went wrong that didn't end up in the film that you wouldn't do again? Hmm. What went wrong? So let's, I, start with what, let's start with what did you learn from making it? Hmm. Um, what are the biggest takeaways? I mean, we've, we've gone through some of them already, I guess. Yeah, we have gone through quite a few. Yeah. I, I suppose I, I learned the importance of preparation. 
Yeah. I learned the importance of sound. Uh, I, I learned that uh, while on, on one hand, there's a kind of an innocence and uh, about the fact that the sound's bad, the, the brutal truth is that if you want to take your career to the next level and get into festivals, you need better sound. There's certain benchmarks yeah. you have to hit, basically. That might, yeah, that might sound like a very obvious thing. And we were well aware when we made Relics that, yeah. that, that, that it we wasn't would... going to be sold or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, we were actually, so it actually got into a festival, which was a great surprise. That it got was it, surprising. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was surprising. But that, 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 those would be my two things. Yeah. Um, don't underestimate the importance of preparation and don't underestimate the importance of good sound. Coming yeah. off that, I'd say, if you're making this kind of film, which is entirely based off improvisation, then also you need more structure to the improvisation. Yeah. That's one thing I would say as well. The other thing that I would say is I also learned, and, and again, this, this comes with age and it comes with experience, but Gray and I have really developed our understanding of narrative um, since we made Relics. And one of the problems that we've talked about uh, with regards to the Relics storyline is that there's not enough tension. And so, yes, uh, on one level, it succeeds in being a kind of meditative, contemplative, slow-going film about kind of everyday life. Uh, you know, we, we uh, at the time, I remember we, we talked a lot about Richard Linklater's work, like Slacker's work, and, and also some French New Wave films, which yeah. really embraced this idea of living life to the fullest. And uh, and, and I would call it the, like the spectacle of the ordinary. Yeah, observing ordinary characters yeah. and finding... Uh, uh, interesting things in their behavior. Yeah. 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 But, but ultimately, if you want to make a successful film, um, that goes far, I think you need to come to terms with the fact that, at least this is from my perspective, one needs to come to terms with the fact that tension is essential in a story. And even if you're making a contemplative, meditative, slow burner film, you can still find ways to build intention and, uh, for, for example, Gray and I have talked about the importance of um, dishonesty in a story and how that's actually a vital ingredient to drama. So all you need, for example, let's say you're making a really low-key film. Have one character tell a lie or have one character deceive someone. And all of a sudden, you have a bit of drama and a bit of tension that can keep the audience hooked in. And unfortunately, Relic's didn't have enough deceit. It didn't have enough betrayal or lies or dishonesty. It was a very clean, very pure, very um, kind of uh, honest film, um, which it, which on some level is makes it what it is and makes it interesting. But again, it's about that tension. It's about what holds an audience on the edge of their seat, so to speak. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess it's important to say. I don't know if we mentioned it, but we did shoot it over a very short period of time. I think it was seven or eight days yeah. was uh, uh, our total shoot. And we weren't even shooting like long hours or full days a lot, a lot of the time. Um, so, so yeah, I don't think coming back to maybe the negative side or um, what, what, what would something you, do you again? wouldn't do again is I, I feel like we didn't get enough material as well in the, in the film. Okay. In, in I feel way. like if we, if we were to make this kind of film again, we would need more scenes perhaps that we'd maybe have the option of editing out. Because from what I remember, we pretty much used every scene we shot. Um, yeah. And that comes down to um, perhaps why there are certain weaknesses at certain points in the film. Like it, it's great to be in a position where you are able to cut out scenes that you have written um, to shorten a film. 
and make it more engaging overall. I think that there is a luxury though. <laughs> yeah. <to have laughs> when enough, you're shooting over seven days. Yeah. yeah. To have enough material to cut. And, yes. um, what would I not do again? I think that I would not hold back so much in my performance as well. I felt very restrained and I felt self-conscious. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a professional actor, especially shooting in public. I remember there were times we planned to have this big scene on the beach. It was almost like a, would devolve into a fight scene. Yeah. We, we, we kind of imagined that we would, yeah, that, that the ending, that the climax would be me and Rory rolling around in the sand on the beach fighting in kind of a comical way. Yes. Uh, but the truth is, is that we were, also, uh, very self-conscious and kind of nervous about the react. Also, Japanese people and Japanese <laughs> yes. culture is very kind of quiet and respectful. And here we, we, so we these, two brash foreigners yeah, rolling around fighting each other on the two, beach is pretty, two uh, arrogant uh, Westerners, <laughs> you know, screaming and yelling in the water. But at the same time, I think that there are certain filmmakers and actor, actors who would have loved to have made a scene and leaned into that and they would have leaned into it and so that would be Mm. my advice to aspiring filmmakers and actors who are working together is you know don't be afraid to embarrass yourself because looking back now that that discomfort would have was would have been so fleeting and in the long run we would have had this wonderful dramatic scene yeah so that's what i would do differently is i wouldn't hold back on the performance okay so then what do we have next it seems like, so this is again, next question from Jim Reed. It seems like the film works partially because there's a bunch of charming, interesting people in it. Is that the secret to low budget filmmaking? Put the most interesting people you know in your movie and have them be themselves. Cool. Um, well, as we mentioned, a lot of the casting was, was our friends and immediate sort of circle of friends that we had in Tokyo and one or two colleagues, one or two colleagues. Um, and the, the casting was very deliberate, definitely, yeah. in terms of choosing people we thought would be interesting on, on screen. Yeah, we wanted people with, with, with uh, some sort of screen presence. We wanted people who had an interesting look or an interesting face. And people who were living an interesting life. As we mentioned, like a lot of it came from drawing on personal experiences. So if people in real life uh, were interesting characters, they, we found that naturally, I think they brought some of that to the screen. Yeah, and, and people have asked as well in, e- in other emails we've received, you know, how did you, you know, get people to work with you? How can you convince actors? I think what you have to, you have to remember this is that passion and energy are infectious. Yeah. So if you're passionate about something, if you're energetic about something, um, if, if you're going to go up to someone and, and, and tell them about your project and, and show that passion, show that energy, you, you'll be amazed at how quickly people respond and how positively people respond um, and to that energy because, like I said, it's infectious. So that's what essentially happened with us, if I think about it in retrospect, is that yes. we were so excited, so passionate. We, we didn't doubt ourselves at all. All we said to people was, look, we're making this movie. Do you want to be in it? We're going to shoot at the zoo. We're going to shoot at the beach. Yes. Um, and people, people were very, people were great. They said, yeah, sure, this will be fun. Exactly. And as you say, the more you talk about it, uh, between us and the more we talked about it with our friends, the more you find that people are happy to get involved. Yeah, people don't mind having fun and, you know, putting themselves on camera yeah. if they, if they can see that they, they're being directed and led by a strong, there's some kind of vision lead. behind it. Yeah, there's some kind of, yeah, that's the word vision. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. totally. How much cool. time do we have left, Gray? A couple minutes. I think we should start wrapping it up soon. Okay. So finally, he says, I'm most interested in how you guys approached 
the storytelling. It, it, excuse me. I'm most interested in how you guys approached it storytelling wise, since there wasn't a script. What were you thinking while shooting, and how did you pace the film and editing? Okay. Well, maybe we should talk a bit about the editing process, which was a bit of a collaboration between the two of us. I think you did most of the editing, um, but we certainly worked on it together. And yeah. when we edited, we'd always be in the same room. I think. Yeah, and we we you know we come home after a day of shooting, we'd go into the uh, the theater, the the share the share room theater, yes. and then we'd uh, project the footage onto a big screen. We'd edit, we'd see what it looks like. We almost like dailies, I guess. Yeah, and uh, that was how we we put the project together. And I, I guess we, we the basic storyline in our mind was you know a foreigner. A foreigner is going to spend his last day in Tokyo, so he's he's going to set off on this adventure throughout the day. Yeah, and and that was really the the only kind of um, that was like the arc, if you could if you could understand it that way. So the arc was start in Tokyo, end at the airport, and in between that, meet up with a bunch of his friends to say goodbye. Yeah, and it is quite a meandering movie. The whole yeah. uh, the whole story takes place over a day, really. Yeah, uh, and it is about the meandering experiences he has during that day. So I think yeah. the pacing of the film kind of reflected that. A lot of the takes we shot were very long takes. Um, so it, it certainly wasn't cut in any kind of snappy way. We wanted to let it breathe and be a meandering film that reflected the, the character's experience on screen. And in a way, looking back now, I think that the film really does, I think it really does speak to the strangeness of the Tokyo experience. As like a, relics. As a foreigner yeah, living there. Like yeah. relics really is a great, if I can say so myself, it's a, it's a great representation of the meandering type of experience that one has when one's a foreigner living there. You do mm-hmm. kind of drift between a zoo and sky tower and a restaurant and the aquarium and meeting random people. And eventually by the, like, it's almost and like people the, drift in and out of your life because yeah, yeah. A, a lot of the people living there live there for short periods of time. So mm. there is that kind of, I don't know, nostalgic sadness as well to meeting people and then seeing them leave and which was built into relics. I think another point that's really important to make is, is is the name is about the name. So for us in, in outlining the film, it wasn't just, okay, we want to tell a story about a guy leaving. We also wanted there to be a bit of a message and we came up with the name relics because it spoke to this idea of the, of, of something in history remaining and something in the, in your history still being a part of your life in some way, you know, like, which is essentially what a relic is, mm. speaks to like a bygone era. And in Japan, for example, there was an apartment that my parents had lived in in, in the eighties, which features in the in the movie. And that, for instance, was a relic that we used. Mm. And then, of course, there's a deeper level to it where you know there's a there's a link to um, our p- position in South Africa. And, uh, and all that. And I think what I'm really just trying to get at is if you're interested in making a film, it's great to have a story, yeah. but it's, but it's important to find that kind of foundation yeah. and the thematic foundation to base that story upon. Yeah. Otherwise it, it tends to, yeah, meander too much. Yeah, it does. But, yeah. but, but that said, um, um, you know, uh, Re- relics is very much about, um, 
the story. It's not like we had the resources to hammer home our theme. Uh, of <laughs> you know, in, in the film that we're currently writing now, which is called The Sun, we have more experience and we have a better understanding of narrative to to push the theme a bit harder. Yeah. With, with and more hopefully you're going to use some of these lessons that we've learned through the process of, of filming this movie and that we've discussed in this podcast um, to make a, a better second film. Yeah. I think I just like to close by saying that it's really hard to actually talk about this process and make it relics because it was five years ago. Yes. Uh, and so my memory, for instance, is, is not that great. And I'm <laughs> really, yeah, I'm really just, uh, remembering bits and pieces from that process. Yeah. Uh, and I'd, I'd really like to, I guess, thank everyone who's taken the time to watch it and, We've gotten a lot, a lot of emails and it's been quite surprising because when we made this, it really was an obscure film. But it's nice to see a few people watching it and and getting something out of it because that's ultimately why you make films. Right. Uh, if, if I go back to one of the core ideas that we were talking about at the time when we were making Relics, this just came back to me now. Um, one, of the, one of the really interesting ideas that we discussed was what if we, what if people made films like they doodled? You know, what if people made movies like they played on the guitar? Yes. In other words, yes. what would happen if we turned feature filmmaking on its head and instead of trying to be perfect, super structured and, and yeah. play every note perfectly? Exactly. What if, wh- like, in other words, what's the jamming equivalent of feature filmmaking? Mm. And I think it's something like Relics. Mm. Relics is like a jamming, it's like a jam session. It's, yeah. it's a bit messy. But it's still cool. Which is kind of the reason, at least partly, I, if I remember correctly, that the soundtrack was so jazz-inspired. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, it was improvised and yes. it was a little bit loose, a little bit loose, interesting, yeah. and, and, and whimsical as well. And whimsical. We, we wanted it to be. Oh, that's something else. Is if you're going to make a low-budget movie, one of the things you can, one of the things you can do well is is music. It's, it's one of the few areas where you can really af- affect the tone and quality of your movie. And that's something we did is we took this strange aesthetic and strange landscape, Tokyo, and comb- juxtaposed it with these Western characters mm. and then added this jazz music. This old school, you know, yeah, sensibility. Yeah. Yes. And, 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 and all together that produced a really unique, a unique uh, feel, a unique tone. Or at least we hope it was a bit unique. Well, yeah. we hope it was unique. I mean, at the time when we screened it, a lot of people said that it was um, that the music was pretty decent. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it's one of my favorite. Anyways, too. we've uh, we've got no more time left, so uh, let's uh, wrap up the pod. Cool. Well, great. It's been great talking about relics with you. I hope. I really do hope that in our ramblings we were able to communicate something a couple of points let's hope so (laughs) and um, if anyone out there has any topics that you would like us to cover in a future episode um, be great if you could comment in the comment section below and we'd love to have a look at them and it might provide us with some future content to talk about otherwise coming up we're probably gonna be looking at a few more movies and uh, giving our thoughts and opinions on them Uh, yeah Guys, thank you so much for joining In-Depth Film, a podcast dedicated to the art of cinema. My name is Greg Bucker. And I'm Greg Gotzer. And we'll see you in the next episode.